I want to start this morning by wishing everyone a happy Halloween. And as I get some strange stares, and uh, I guess I should remind the people on that are watching on TV, don't change your channel. This is not a, a rerun. Um, I, I wanted to give you that example. This morning, before you think that I've completely lost my mind, let me explain what I mean by that. I heard an example a couple of weeks ago, and I thought it was a great example, one that I've never heard. And so... Uh, one that I wanted to share with you today. The question was asked, what if every day was Halloween? What if every day was Halloween? And you may ask yourself, well, what in the world is he talking about? What if every day was Halloween? Here's what I mean by that. Let's think about what happens on Halloween. On Halloween, it's the one day of the year when we can walk down the streets of our neighborhoods without fear. We walk down the streets of our neighborhoods and we knock on strangers' doors. And strangers come to those doors, not with weird or puzzled looks about why we're there knocking on the door, but they come to the door with candy in hand because they have ready to give us what we have come looking for on that particular day or that particular evening. And the greatest thing about it is, the weirder or the scarier we look, the more excited they are to see us. You see, it sounds a lot like what Christianity should be if we're doing it right. What if every day were Halloween? Or, let's change the question up just a little bit. What if Christians took an example from Halloween... And applied it to our everyday life, so to speak. Let's look at this a little bit further this morning. What if those people were waiting on you with open arms when you knocked on their door? What if when you opened their door, they smiled one of the biggest smiles that you had seen all evening? Maybe it's somebody that you've never met in your life. But they're so excited to see you. And like I said a few minutes ago, the weirder we look, the more excited they are to see us. My grandmother's favorite holiday was Halloween. And the reason that was her favorite holiday was because she got to see so many children. So many young people would come to her door. And that brought so much joy and excitement to her were the days of Halloween. When we see Acts chapter 3, we see the church has just been established and we see everyone is living with one thought in mind, with one purpose in mind. We're told that everyone was selling everything that they had and they were giving it to those who were in need. Those who wanted were being provided for. No one was without what he or she needed at that particular time. What in the world would make somebody so committed to something that they're willing to sell everything that they have and give to others? What would make somebody so committed to something that they're willing to do without 
so that others can have plenty. I think it comes down to one word. It's love. The love of God was given to us. And we should love God so much that we're bursting down the doors to give it back to others because it has impacted our life in such a way. Love for God should make us do things that we've never imagined that we would do. If you will, open your Bibles back up. You may have them already open to the book of Romans that uh, Brother Denny Tench read just a few minutes ago. That's where we're going to begin our study this morning. The book of Romans, chapter 12, starting in verse 9, we see a great example of what it means to be a Christian. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And most importantly, seek to show hospitality. You see, the question, we can read verses like these. We can read passages like these that talk about what it means to be a Christian. What we should do when we want to show the love of Christ to others. But the difficult part, or the part that hopefully we'll address this morning is, what does that look like in the year 2015? What does that look like as we begin to think about New Year's resolutions for the year 2016, 2017, on and on and on? What does it look like in today's world? Today, this morning... We will look at two things that I think we must first understand before we can ever begin to show the love that Christ showed for us. The first thing is we must always be willing to do the work of God. Open your Bibles up, if you will, at this time to the book of Titus. Here in the, in the book of, of Titus, in chapter 3... Paul gives a summary of what it means to be a Christian. What it looks like to be a Christian. Let's start reading in verse 3. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. To be obedient. To be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling. To be gentle. And to show perfect courtesy towards all people. You see some pretty good ideas for us to live by. But do we do those things which Paul taught us here in the book of Titus? The very first thing that he mentions, be submissive to rulers and authorities. But what happens if it's not the person I elected? What if it's not the person I voted for? What if that person in office is doing horrible things? Those things were going on when Paul wrote this letter. They're still our leaders. They're still our rulers. We should be thankful we live in a country where we have a way to voice our opinion during the next election. 
We can campaign. We can promote the candidate that we believe best exemplifies the qualities that we agree with. But we need to understand that once somebody's elected, we come together and we're submissive to our rulers and our authorities. You see, it's one thing to do that when we think about the president or our governor or our mayor. But that also goes to the elders of the church. That also goes, young people, to parents. They're our authority. Even when we don't agree with the things that they do, we submit to their authority. Even when we don't understand the things that they do, we submit to their authority. I'm not here today to tell you that you have to agree with everything that our president does, that our mayor does, that our elders do. It's not what I'm here to tell you this morning. But all of those people that were just mentioned make difficult decisions each and every day. Are we submissive to them in that when they make those decisions, let's do what we can to make those decisions successful? Do we do what we can to show the teachings of Paul? Be ready for every good work. This is the one that I want us to focus on most this morning. You see, most often we use this verse and and others like this to throw out when we have the thought process of always be ready when, when somebody presents something to you. Always be ready to give a defense of what you believe in. But I think Paul's teaching something a little bit deeper than that here this morning. If we're ready for every good work, we're going to seek out opportunities. We're going to seek out times when we can do that work of Christ. When you're driving down the road and that person is on the side of the road in need, do you ever stop and offer help? When that person knocks on your door, literally or figuratively, and they need something, are you willing to help them out? But how can you even talk about that? There's so many people that take advantage of the system. How can we help out that person who's never willing to work? Paul didn't say be ready to do good works to those that are trying. Paul says be ready to do good works. One question I want to ask you this morning. Do you think it's easier to lay our heads on the pillow at night and be discouraged because someone took advantage of our willingness to do good? Or will it be easier to stand in front of God on judgment day and provide excuses while we were never willing to help somebody out? Yeah, people are going to take advantage of you if you try to do good. But is that really a bad thing? Is that really terrible? That the thing you're most disappointed this week is that you tried to help somebody? Let us not be the judge of where their heart is. Let us be the ruler of where our heart is. And if our heart's in the right place, that's all we can control anyway. So let us focus on that. Let us focus on when we see that person in need. 
not wonder how hard they are trying, how much effort they're actually giving. But let us instead stop and think, can I help this person out? Because maybe it's our encouragement is what they needed to take that first step in the right direction. Now, I know this is a difficult topic. And I know that each and every person sitting in this room does do so many things. We'll never know everything that, that people in this room do. But I think we could all look at ourselves and do a little something extra. What do I mean by that? The next time you're driving down the road and you pass somebody's house that you know they're going through something difficult in their life, knock on their door. Because it may bring you the joy that it does on those Halloween nights when a young child knocks on your door. And they're so excited to see you. Maybe that's like when they open their door and you offer a kind word or a card or some type of encouragement. When we seek out those that are in need and do what we can to help them, Paul explains why this is important. Paul explains later on in in chapter 3 why we need to have this type of attitude. Starting in verse 3 of of chapter 3, he says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. You see, what Paul is simply reminding us here is that when we help others, it's because at one point in our life, we needed help. At one point in our life, we'll have to call in a favor. At some point in our life, we will be in need. Let us help others when we have opportunity. So that when we're in need, others will be helping us. Because we help them first. Paul ends this section... In a way that kind of sums everything up. Why do we help others? Why did others help us at one point in our life? When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. I love others because God first loved me. I heard another saying that I want to share with you that that goes along with this. Be someone... Looking for someone, looking for something. I'm going to say that again because I really like this. Be someone, looking for someone, looking for something. Our young people talked about this all summer long. This summer, we know that there were people in our community that every night went home and, and prayed to God that something good would happen in their life. And I challenge my young people all summer, will you be the answer to those prayers when school starts back this next school year? You see that person who doesn't have any friends because they've moved to a new city. When they start school on the first day of of school, when they walk into that lunchroom and they're all alone, 
when they're sitting in that first class of the day and they have nobody to talk to because they don't know anybody. They've spent all summer praying, God, why did we have to move? I had so many friends where we used to live. I had so many people to talk to where we used to live. Why did we have to move? And they've prayed that prayer all summer long. Are we ready to be the answer to prayers? God's ready to use us. Are you ready to be the answer to somebody's prayer? Maybe that person that you see at work each and every day, that you don't really think a whole lot about it. Maybe they're facing something in their life, and and every night when they go home, they just pray for a friend. Somebody to confide in, somebody to talk to. Are you ready to be the answer to somebody's prayer? There's a story, a true story told not too far from here of a young man who visited a church on a Wednesday evening. He came back that next Sunday, the following Sunday. He was a 10th grader. He later became baptized, and this past year he graduated from high school. He's very active in his church. And he was asked, why did you decide to come that very first time? What made you walk through the doors that very first Wednesday night? This was his answer. Excuse me. He said, on Monday, I was at home, and I thought to myself, I've tried everything else. I only have two options left. I can give church a try or I can take my own life. Luckily, he gave church a try. And there were people there with open arms who that night not only saved a life, but they saved a soul. Are you prepared for that if that person enters your life? Will you be prepared to do every good work? Always prepared to do every good work. Matthew chapter 25 gives us a vision or a glimpse on that day of judgment. We had a lesson on this not too long ago, so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. But on that day, Jesus gives a reward to those that were there when he was in need. And they asked, Jesus, when did we see you in need? When did we minister to you when you were in need? Even as you did it to one of my children, you did it to me. If Jesus was the person in need, how quickly would we rush to his assistance? But it's not Jesus. It's somebody else. And so it's easy to turn our head and look the other way. It's easy to neglect visiting others. Before we get discouraged this morning, I want to say I'm preaching to myself today. I'm just doing it out loud. During the holiday season... There's so much need around us. Are we looking for opportunities 
to help others. We might save a life, but more importantly, we might save a soul. The second thing that we must understand is that love is more powerful than truth. If you will, open your Bibles up or flip over to the book of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul reminds us how powerful love is. He says, starting in in chapter 13, verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbals. And if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, I'm not here this morning saying that truth is not important. Truth is extremely important, and we must never be willing to sacrifice truth. That's not what I'm here to tell you this morning. But love is more powerful than truth. Because you see, on a typical Sunday morning when we have a visitor come in, truth is not the first thing that they look for when they walk through our doors. The first thing they look for is someone that will show them love or compassion. Because you see, if we never show that love when somebody walks through the doors... They're never going to get to the truth part. It's not going to matter if we teach truth all day long. If we don't have love for one another. If we're not waiting at the door with open arms. Not for the person that we invited to come. Yeah, that's important. But for anybody who's willing to walk through those doors. Something that takes so much courage to begin with. Someone has stepped out of their comfort zone. To be our guest, do we run to greet that person? Or do we wait on somebody else to do it? Do we rush over to sit beside that person? Or do we let somebody else take care of that part of it? You see, nobody's going to leave and say, man, those people really stuck to the Bible. I think I'll go back. But people will leave and say, That was one of the most friendly congregations I've ever been to. Those are some of the most loving people that I've ever been a part of, that I've ever met. I want to go back there. I want to be a part of them. You see, that that young man that I talked about earlier that was deciding to either give church a try or take his life, his response after that first Wednesday night was, I met some Christians tonight. And if all Christians are like these people were tonight, I want to meet some more. When people see you, do they want to meet other Christians because you made it look so good? You made God look so good that they want to see more of his children because you stood out to them in such a powerful way. You may notice this morning that down front, our young people are not sitting there this morning. I've given them a challenge. I challenged them this morning 
to go sit with somebody that they've not sat with before. And you'll look around and you'll see some of our young people sitting in places that they've not sat in before. And you'll notice something else about it. They're by themselves. You think that was difficult? Absolutely. I don't know if I would have been willing to do that at their age. But they were more than willing to do it. I didn't have to beg. There's no prize waiting on them after services are over. I I don't give them all a $20 bill for doing it. They did it to show Christ. So I'm going to give everybody in here a guilt trip this morning. Here's your challenge for tonight. When you come in the doors tonight for evening services, don't sit where you sat this morning. Don't sit where you've always sat. Find somebody that you hadn't talked to in a while. Maybe find somebody that you've never spoken to and sit by them. Even better, find a visitor and sit by them. But challenge yourself a little bit tonight. Sit somewhere you've never sat before. And I know some people are rolling their eyes. Well, what's that really going to prove? If we're not willing to leave our comfort zone to sit with our brothers and sisters, are we ever going to leave our comfort zone to sit with somebody we've never met? We're family. Talk to somebody new tonight. Sit by somebody you've never sat by. These young people were able to do it this morning by themselves. I'm allowing you to take your family with you. You don't have to do it on your own. But are you willing to cross the aisle, so to speak? To sit in a new seat? Not because it's going to solve any world problems. But it may allow somebody to feel the love of Christ. That's never really felt it before. Are you willing to make yourself feel a little bit uncomfortable so that somebody else can feel comfortable? On a typical Sunday morning, it's about 30 minutes before the Bible's ever opened and a sermon ever preached. At that point, most people who are here for the first time, their minds are made up about whether or not they'll ever come back. Truth will get somebody to heaven. But love will allow us to go to heaven together. Are we willing to love anybody that walks through that door? Do we love them enough that we can keep them here until we can get to the truth? Truth is important. But love is the greatest command. If we can't love our neighbor, if we can't love our brother, our sister, truth's not really that important because it never gets that far. I recently heard a a panel of young people describe what it meant to them to teach others about Christ. They were asked, what's the most important thing in your eyes when it comes to teaching somebody else about Christ? How, How do you teach others About God. Every single young person answered at different times, but they all had the same answer. 
They said the first thing that you have to do is build a relationship. Before you can ever expect somebody to be a part of your family, you've got to build a relationship. How true is that? Love is the first thing that we must show somebody. There'll be time for truth. But let's start with love. Let's start with welcoming arms. Let's make ourselves feel uncomfortable so that they can feel comfortable. I want to end this morning with an example of love. It's a story that you've heard over and over. It's a story that you've heard many times in your life. But it shows love like no other story you'll ever hear. I want you to think for just a moment. About a year ago, Emma Ann and I were moving to Haleville. It was just 30 minutes down the road. But there were boxes and boxes. And we had so many people willing to help us move that weekend. And I'm so thankful for that. But there was a lot to be done. And I know most of you have been in in similar situations where, where you've had to move something that was heavy. And you see, the thing that gets you through that is knowing that in a minute you'll go into that truck and there'll be one box left. And at that point, you're tired, you're exhausted. You have no more energy. But you see that final box and you get a boost. And you run to that box as fast as you can. And you pick it up and you take it wherever it goes because you know there's nothing else after that. And you know that once that that box is sat down, you can rest. You can go get a glass of water. You can sit down on the couch or, or wherever you can find a space to sit for just a moment. Maybe eat a sandwich. Begin to recover from all that moving or from whatever it is heavy that you've carried. And now... I want you to imagine the scene of Jesus carrying his cross to Calvary. He was tired. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was exhausted. His back was in excruciating pain. He didn't have others to help him carry the load. He didn't have others supporting him as he ran towards that hill. But he also knew that when he got there, he didn't get to sit the cross down and go rest and get something to eat. Because you see, he was not carrying the cross for somebody else. He was carrying it for himself. And the further that he went and the tireder that he became... He was only getting closer to more pain. He was only getting closer to the moment when he would hang on that cross that he was carrying that would lead eventually to his death. You see, there was no moment when Christ could see the end, so to speak, when this was the last box that he had to carry and then he could rest. He was carrying the cross to his death. The closer he got, the load only got heavier, mentally and physically. 
because Jesus knew what he was about to endure. What would make someone go through so much only to receive death in the end? The answer to that question is what you saw when you looked in the mirror this morning. The answer to that question is what you see when you look around this morning. It's you and it's me. And so when that cross was so heavy that he couldn't bear the weight, he didn't give up. He didn't pass it off for somebody else to do because there was too much at stake. Our eternities were hanging in the balance. And for him to drop that load, it would have put it right back on our shoulders. And we could never begin to carry it to begin with. But he took it off our shoulders and he placed it on the cross. There's no greater example of love than that. And he shed his blood. And that blood washes away our sins. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never come in contact with that blood. There's only one way today to come in contact with that blood. And that's through baptism. And you're buried and your sins are washed away. And just as Christ rose from the grave, defeated death and defeated sin, so too can you and I rise from a watery grave to defeat death, to defeat sin. Because of his love, I have hope. I ask you this this morning. I've already given you a challenge. That's tonight. At least think about it. See if it doesn't make you go home tonight happier than you've gone home in a long time. I think it will. But here's my question this morning. Someone was willing to show you that much love. Who are you going to go tell about it? Who do you love that you want to share that good news with? Whoever that person is that popped into your head when I asked that question. Leave here and go share it with them. Go tell them how great our Savior is. Go tell them how great your hope is for the future. If you're sitting there this morning and you think, I don't have hope because I've never experienced baptism. I've never had my sins washed away. We can change that. And I know you'll leave here happier than you've ever left here before. Or maybe this morning you're you're struggling You're going through some difficult things in your life. Remember we were told just a few minutes ago, be patient in tribulation. There's a better day coming. It may not be on this earth. But more importantly, there's an eternity coming. Are you excited? Are you excited about eternity? If not, don't leave here this morning until you get excited. About eternity. Look at the example of these young people this morning. 
going out of their way to feel a little bit uncomfortable because of the love of Christ. It was probably awkward. It was uncomfortable for them, I know. Similar to walking down the aisle in just a minute when a song is sung. But even when we feel awkward, the reward is much greater than the awkwardness for a split second. And it won't be awkward for long. They look pretty comfortable right now. The awkwardness leaves pretty quick. Because we now know that Christ is there to help us through whatever we face. What's your need this morning? What's your desire this morning? How much do you love Christ this morning? If you need to increase your love, or if you need to meet His blood that was shed on Calvary for the first time, if you have any need, even just encouragement, we're here for you, we'll pray with you, we'll pray for you, and we'll get through this together. If you have any need, come right now while together we stand and while we sing.